and um, and let's do that right now. As Father, we do, we just lift these things up to you, and it's been a challenging few months for all of us, and we've had to adapt, we've had to be patient, trying to move forward, the uncertainty, and Lord, I first of all, I want to pray for the kids that are headed back to school, and Lord, I know there's a lot of voices, a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, but Lord, we pray for their safety. We pray for the teachers that are going to be teaching them, whether in person, also online, adjusting to um, the schedules and all of that. We just pray for you to be with them, to be a light to those kids. Um, we pray for their protection as well. And Lord, we also pray for uh, as we see the smoke that fills our skies, it was so bad. Uh, we see the ash on our cars. Lord, we pray for those you know, firefighters up there that are in Grand Junction and then uh, Glenwood Canyon up on Poudre Pass and then Waterton Canyon, those four major fires. We pray for relief. We pray that we would get some moisture, some rain. But Lord, please be with them and be with those who are working um, the resources that are being poured into Colorado um, as it's dry, it's hot. And Lord, it's dry and hot, not just in the weather, but Lord, spiritually. We see a lot of barrenness. We see that uh, people are, are just um, going through turmoil. They're being isolated. And Lord, we want to give a message of hope. And Lord, in the teaching today, that we see that, that you are the one, as we walk with you, as we're forgiven, we have gladness of heart. And that is our message. And Lord, I pray that this event that took place 2,000 years ago, that there's something there for us to take away. So I pray that as even as it's hot right now and as we go through your word, that you would touch our hearts with it. And Lord, we just commit all these things to you, and in, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 9, keep in mind that if you've been with us in our study, that Jesus, at the end of chapter 4, as he begins his ministry, he's in the Galilee region, the gospel writers tell us that there was great multitudes that were coming into that area. And Jesus was teaching with great authority the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. At the end of that sermon, the people marveled. They, they just were amazed at the authority of his teaching, teaching as one not as the scribes and the Pharisees. And then as we moved into chapter 8, we've spent a, a few weeks in chapter 8, Jesus also ministering with great power. As the people, great multitudes is what the gospel writers uh, will use that term, coming into the Galilee region from all over, from not only Galilee, from Tyre and Sidon, from the cities of the Decapolis, from uh, Judea, from Jerusalem. They're coming because they're hearing about Jesus, uh, his healing power. They're bringing every you know, person they can that is sick and diseased. And Jesus is healing them of their sicknesses and diseases and freeing the demoniacs. And as he's there, we saw last time that they got into a boat. They went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the east side, to the area of Gadara. And of course, on the way, they encountered this violent storm, as the gospel writers tell us. And 
Jesus is asleep and he, he, he's aw awakened by the disciples who are saying, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea and there was a great calm is what we read. And they were greatly afraid. They were marveled as Matthew writes that who is this one that even the sea and the winds obey him? They knew that it was more than just a prophet or a miracle worker. That they knew that this was the hand of God. And as they went over to the area of Gadara, they, of course, as we saw last week, met two men who were demon-possessed. And we looked at that story carefully. But Jesus is ministering with great power and continues to as he's in the Galilee region. But it also tells us of how he desires to minister to us, how he desires to free us and bring healing to us and, and cause us to walk as we will see this morning. Let's begin to look at chapter 9 as we read in verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Remember that it was the people that saw the healing that took place with the two demoniacs that it was uh, amazing, it was a definite miracle, but they lost their industry as the demons were put into the swine. The swine went over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee, as Mark says, 2,000 of them. And so they were more concerned about their industry than about those individuals. And they said to Jesus, leave, get out of here, you're bad for business, so he left. He goes back to, as we know, Capernaum, as it says, to his own city. We know the Gospels say that Capernaum was the town of Jesus. And as he's there, behold. In other words, this is important. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. As we open the chapter, we are told Jesus coming back to Capernaum. We also know that this story is recorded in the other two synoptic gospels, that is Mark and Luke, and they give us more information concerning this event. And Mark tells us that this takes place indeed in Capernaum, and Jesus was in the house. Now it's kind of interesting, a little side note, there, there are some commentators that suggest when you see that term that Jesus is in the house, that it may be a reference to Peter's house. Jesus spent more time in Capernaum than any other place in his earthly ministry. And he probably spent more time in Peter's house, we don't know for sure, but it's speculated than any other place uh, in Capernaum. But he's in the house, wherever that is, and as he is there, um, we know that Jesus is teaching. Uh, we know that Jesus, as we have seen in chapter 8, I've already mentioned, working miracles, uh, healing people of infirmities and sicknesses. But keep in mind that he came to teach. The ministry of Jesus centered around the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, of the kingdom of God, of the gospel, of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10 tells us. So here he is, he's in the house, he is teaching, and we are also told by Luke and Mark that the house was packed out. Uh, packed out, there's no room to move in the house. Uh, people spilling out into the front door, no doubt, out into the streets, perhaps, and they're crowded. They're wanting to get a glimpse of him. They're wanting to hear from him. There is no way that anyone was going to move into that house. And also we know from the gospel writers 
uh, that there were those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that came as far as from Jerusalem. So the religious leaders are there. They're there listening to Jesus, watching him, checking him out. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, were responsible for the religious life in the nation. And they've already gotten word that here is this sermon that he gave, and he told his disciples, he told the multitude, that their righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'm sure they're greatly offended by that. And they're wondering, you know, what is this man all about? And as the, he would say, don't be a hypocrite like the scribes and the Pharisees in the way that you fast. Don't be a hypocrite in the way that they give. Don't be a hypocrite in the way that they pray, to be seen of men. And as they would be offended by that, they're now coming and they're listening to him. And they're listening to him closely, checking him out. So they're there in that house. And here is, as Matthew tells us now, that here comes a paralytic lying on a bed. We know specifically that Mark tells us there were four men that carried this man to the house. And they hear Jesus is there. They obviously had heard, perhaps even seen him heal others, the healing power of Jesus. And they bring this man who they cared for, who they loved, I'm sure, uh, probably on kind of a stretcher. And they get to the house and they know Jesus is there. Just picture it in your mind that we can't get into the house. The front door is packed. The house is full. People are spelling out. They can't make their way, so they come up with a plan. They, they expend the energy. They really make the effort to get this, this friend of theirs that has paralysis and can't walk to Jesus. So I picture them going around in the back and then hoisting their friend up on the roof and then beginning to tear the roof apart. And they do that. Here is, is, is Jesus teaching. And all of a sudden, there's this commotion up above him. And I imagine pieces of dirt or material begins to fall down. And all of a sudden, this man comes crashing down on this stretcher, dropped hard right in front of Jesus. Over the years that, that I've been teaching, I've had distractions before. But I've never had the ceiling, you know, just break open and somebody fall right in front of me. And I imagine what it must have been like as that man falls in front of Jesus. And, and I think about how they wanted to get him to Jesus. And I consider that, and I think it's worth for all of us considering, that the energy, the, the effort to the hoist him up on the roof, tear a hole in the roof and drop him down in front of Jesus, how much energy, how much effort do you and I spend in bringing somebody who has paralysis spiritually? They're not walking. They're not walking with God. How much effort do we make to bring them to Jesus? You know, sometimes we look at others and we just, we want to criticize and analyze and and be condemning and we need to be careful of that all of us it reminds me of of jesus he did this healing in the gospels that there is a man that was blind and so he touched the man's eyes and he said can you see and he said i see men you know not clear he says it's foggy and so jesus touched them again 
and he could see clearly. And you read about that miracle. It wasn't that Jesus made a mistake. Jesus didn't make mistakes. But I think it's recorded in the Gospels as we consider others. You know, we were blind, and now we see. But sometimes we just need another touch from the Lord so that we can see others clearly. He says, I see men that are walking like trees. I, 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 I need another touch. And then he could see them clearly. And sometimes when we look at others, we see them walking like trees. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Jeff? We want to bark at them. We want them to leave. We just are cynical. And we have to say, Lord, touch me again. So I can see people the way that you want me to see them. You know people have been hurting. They've been isolated. They're confused. And we need to bring people to Jesus because that is the answer. To bring them to the cross. And these guys expended the energy, made a lot of effort, and they didn't give up. And they said, we are going to bring our friend to Jesus if we have to get up on the roof, tear a hole in it, and drop it down in front of them. And that's what they did. So here, as that takes place, Jesus, as it says, saw their faith. He said to this one who had palsy, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, I just imagine that these guys that expended all this energy and effort to hoist them up on the roof, tear a hole in the roof, lower them down, that, that hearing Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, I just wonder if it, initially they are disappointed. I wonder if they thought, well, that's fine, but we didn't bring him all the way here, go through all this effort to drop him in front of you just to hear a spiritual saying. What we want to hear is, rise up walk we want to hear you're healed that's why we brought him here but be of good cheer your sins are forgiven you what is that all about well let me tell you what that's all about and i don't think that many of you know that jesus is taking care of the most important thing the most important need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin what is more important, a person's forgiveness, a person's salvation, or someone's physical healing? And please do not misunderstand me. A person's healing is important. It's important to that person. It's a tremendous blessing when that takes place. Somebody's healed of sickness or a disease or infirmity of some sort. I believe God does do healing today to the physical body, to to our minds, the mental healing that we perhaps we need. Some of you have incredible testimonies of that happening, but the greatest miracle of all is the healing that comes when we are forgiven of sin. The greatest healing of all, the greatest miracle of all, is when a person comes to Jesus Christ and they are forgiven and they're given a new heart and a new life and a new relationship. We've been talking about that on Wednesday night. The new covenant, you're going to have a new heart because it's no longer the word of God that's written on the tablets of stone, but it's going to be written on your hearts, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. You have a new relationship with the Father, reconciliation with the Father because of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
and that we have a new life, a life walking with the Lord and knowing Him and, and growing in the grace and knowledge of Him and experiencing that abundant life that He has for us and to know that we can rejoice and have gladness because our sins are forgiven. It's the most important need. It's the greatest miracle of all. Regeneration that takes place as we come to Jesus Christ who made atonement for our sins. As He raised from the grave, He conquered sin and death. We come in faith and we know that as we come in faith, that we belong to him. David wrote, blessed is the man whose iniquity is forgiven. Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. So the greatest need that any of us have is to be forgiven of sin. And those of us who have been forgiven, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord says to you and to me, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. They want to see their friend walking. And I suggest to you that this guy, when he was dropped in front of Jesus, when Jesus looked at him, that this guy who had palsy was elated because there was something in Jesus' voice, something in his eyes to where he knew, yes, my sin is forgiven. And then as we continue reading in verse 3, at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies. Now, the religious leaders caught something here. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they said within themselves is what Matthew writes. Mark Gospel says they reason in their hearts, which means that Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew their thoughts, even though they did not verbalize it in a way that it was verbalized with words. They're probably looking at each other, pointing, kind of scoffing and and. And there's this gasp and all of this. This man blasphemies is what they're thinking. This man, uh, he, he can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Who can forgive sin but God alone is what Mark writes they're thinking. Now when they said only God can forgive sin, know that they were correct in that statement. Only God can forgive a man or a, a woman of sin, anyone. But they were wrong in saying that Jesus speaks blasphemy because they, of course, don't realize that Jesus, yes, fully man, but fully God as well. Jesus was not being blasphemous here because Jesus is God. They were correct in saying no one can forgive sin but God. But you might recall in David writing in Psalm 51 after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet concerning his sin with Bathsheba, David cried out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, for against you and only you have I sinned and done this great wickedness. So Jesus here, he's showing those religious leaders that he is God. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he is going to say, as we will see later in Matthew, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus stopped him and said, why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, and that is God. Now, Jesus was not saying, I'm not good. What he was saying is, you have recognized the truth about me, that I am good, Thus, I am God. He's trying to get the rich young ruler to realize the implication of what he was saying. And so here in Matthew chapter 9, 
Jesus is acting in his divine nature as he said, son, be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now keep in mind as we're going to travel through Matthew that the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders is going to intensify. It's already started when Jesus would say that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Don't be a hypocrite in the way that they give, the way that they pray, you know, and, and um, in their fasting. We also are going to see that then next week that Jesus is going to call a tax collector to follow after him. And it's going to be really, it's an incredible story when we take the time to look at as he sees Levi and he says, follow me. And as we look at it carefully, I think you're going to be touched greatly by Jesus calling Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. The religious leaders hated the tax collectors. And then he's eating with the tax collectors in Matthew's house and other sinners. And the religious leaders come along and say, why did your you know, teacher eat with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, knowing that, hearing that, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but those who are sinners. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. It continues. It begins to escalate concerning the Sabbath. As we see that the disciples are plucking the heads of grain there in the field. There was nothing unlawful about that. But they come along and said, you can't do that on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath, the most precious of their traditions to keep. All these rules and regulations. And then it moves into the synagogue to where Jesus heals that man with a withered hand in a synagogue. And it tells us that right after that, that they were determined to put him to death. So this confrontation, this, this hatred that the religious leaders have towards Jesus is going to intensify. But when this paralytic heard those words, I'm sure his heart is warm. He's filled with joy because blessed or how happy is the man whose sin is forgiven. I know, and so do you. People, as I've already mentioned, that there's paralysis spiritually. They're not walking with God. They haven't come to Christ. They're wondering, is there more to life than what I'm seeing? Uh, is there fulfillment, true satisfaction? Is there hope? And there is paralysis, and there is darkness, and there's bondage because they don't know Jesus Christ, and they haven't been forgiven. And we have good news to give to them, that you too can be forgiven because Jesus loved you so much that he went to that cross for you to die for your sins. That you can be brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That you too can be free and be of good cheer as you come to Christ. He is your hope. And we know that people, there's paralysis because of the guilt and the shame of sin. They don't know the Lord. They don't have a relationship with him. And we were made to worship the Lord and to know him. And we got the message how we can tell them how they can. Or there are those who think, I've sinned so badly, God can never accept me. I talk to people like that, and so do you. That Jesus loved you so much that he died for every one of your sins. I don't care what you have done. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. To give them that message of hope. That your life is valuable to God. And that's why Jesus came. He came for you, to die for you specifically, individually. 
And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, what they were saying, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Jesus knew what was in the hearts of those religious leaders, and he says, that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive men. He proposed kind of a test here, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk. Jesus is saying to those guys, you question my ability to forgive sins, I'm gonna demonstrate to you that I not only have the power to forgive sin, but power to heal as well. Proving that Jesus had power in the words that he spoke. And this man got up, forgiven of sin, healed of his disease, walked out of that house, Jesus saying, I will prove to you the reality that I have the power to forgive sin by showing practically the walk of this man. And this man began to walk. How do we know that our sins are forgiven? How do we know that the gospel is true? I just want to say this, look around. Look around. People here are walking with the Lord. People here who at one time were paralyzed are now walking and praising God. People who were paralyzed by sin have a deep appreciation and have embraced the good news that indeed we are forgiven as Jesus said. And the reality of a person's conversion is going to be manifested in their walk. Not that our walk is going to be perfect. Not that we're never going to sin or be tempted or struggle. But there is a walk that is there. John, the apostle of love, writes in his epistle, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You who are born again, you move from walking in darkness, as I've already mentioned, Peter writes into his marvelous light, why would you want to go back to the darkness? If you've been freed from being in bondage, why would you want to go back to being in captivity and bondage? Yes. We don't have a perfect walk. We are forgiven. If we sin, we confess our sins. He's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're walking with him. And it's going to show up in our walk and in our talk and how we live our lives. And those scribes, I'm sure, were blown away when they saw this man get up and walk. They're all amazed and they glorified God. They marveled. Whenever Jesus did a miracle, we'll notice this as we go through Matthew. He did it in a such a way to where it says that they glorified God. Now remember that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, there's two ways in which you can let your light shine. There are two ways by which you can do your works. You can let your light shine in such a way that when others see what it is that you are doing, that they say, oh, you're so wonderful. You're such a glorious person. You're so holy. You're so marvelous. You're so spiritual and begin to exalt you, begin to point to you. 
begin to, to you know, you, you hear it and you see it and you think, you know, I am pretty great. And, and you become prideful, drawing attention. So you begin to do things to draw attention to yourself, the, the praise of self. And we have to be so careful of that. And what we are to do is let our light so shine that when people see what God is doing in our lives, the good works, they say, isn't God great? God is the one that is good. So Jesus was working in such a way that people were glorifying God. And that's the way that we are to work. That, Lord, I can do nothing without you, just as Jesus said. And I am to be steadfast, immovable, listen, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that my work is not in vain. But I do it because I love you, Lord. And I want to exalt you that your glory may be seen. And the reality of Jesus, not to me to be exalted, not me to draw attention, not so everybody thinks I'm so wonderful and great. Listen, God sees what you and I do. And it's not in vain, but we are to do our work. And may we do a work here as a church, not that we can boast in ourselves, but that we boast in Jesus. And that people see it and say, wow, God is doing a great work through ordinary people that love him and are walking with him. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Not me, not a church name, but glorify Jesus Christ, who's the one that sets us free, forgives us through the atoning work of the cross, and then says, be of good cheer, gladness of heart, because your sins are forgiven. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these reminders that we know, but work them out in our lives. And I do pray that, that Lord, that if there's anyone here that there's just, they're not walking with you, because they haven't come to the cross, that your invitation is given to them, the announcement of come right now to the cross. Repent, turn to Jesus, he is your salvation, there is none other, he loves you, he died for your sins, come to him and call out to him upon the name of Jesus. And as you call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved asking for forgiveness and the Lord loves you and I don't care what you've done he died for your sins and he cares about you and he died for you specifically if that's you this morning will you call on the name of the Lord right now you can pray Jesus I come and I ask that you forgive me a sin I have sinned I know Forgive me, I believe you died on the cross for me, you rose again, you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do wanna walk with you. I thank you for this new relationship that I have reconciled to the Father through you. And a new heart, a new beginning, bringing me into the family of God. Thank you for hearing my prayer and loving me. Father, I also pray for those who may be here that they're just struggling. Maybe struggling in carnality or a sin or something that's tormenting them, something that has them in bondage. You came to set us free. You came to set us free. And maybe you're saying, arise to them and walk. Walk with me. 
turn to me, trust in me. I want to set you free. I want to give you the gladness of heart. I want to bring you comfort. I want to give you direction. And you need that. I want to free you from that which is holding you up and tripping you up, doing you in. That you would just give it to the Lord this morning and know that He has power to work in your heart and in your life through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't call you to do something and not give you the power to do it. But His commandments are His enablements to trust in Him and walk in Him and rest in His love. So Lord, work in the lives of your people day by day and moment by moment knowing that, Lord, that you are true and real in our hearts. I pray that we can truly walk with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, bless your people, encourage your people as we leave here. And, Lord, I thank you that we can be here this morning to be blessed in every way. Again, we just pray for kids going back to school, teachers, that you protect them, bless them. As we move forward as a church, that, Lord, you would guide us and we would truly come together as one. It's good for the brethren to dwell together in unity, your word says. And that we would keep our eyes on you. Bless everyone here now as we go our way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll please stand, we'll close. Listen, you made a decision for the Lord. You just need prayer. I just need prayer. Pastor, please come up and I'll be happy to pray with you and, and just minister to you any way that I can. God bless you. Hopefully we'll see you next week.